It's Monday the 18th of January 2021. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Lukas Schweiger, an entrepreneur in travel consulting and the vice president of Frjörsjökjöfjölaget, the Icelandic Libertarian Society. Welcome to you. Thank you, Alex, for having me on. Very welcome. Um, plenty going on again this week. The, the Prime Minister put forward her constitutional change bill alone, as it turns out, and says she is confident. Unity in Althingi on the topic remains elusive, however. The main campus of the University of Iceland was flooded when a cold water mains pipe burst this week, causing hundreds of millions of corona of damage and putting key classrooms, offices and other facilities out of use. Some of them for months to come, apparently. The health minister is proposing a change to the law that would decriminalize small amounts of drugs for personal use. Uh, the ambassador of the United States of America has quit his post and the embassy will be run by its deputy head of mission until a new ambassador is appointed by President Biden. Iceland's vaccination program has come under the spotlight as some have questioned the country's involvement in the EU procuration scheme um, while it was also confirmed that contracts between manufacturers and governments are all secret. The weather, uh, it is January after all, has been playing its usual tricks in the northern half of the country with widespread travel disruption and evacuation orders imposed due to avalanches. And finally, Vesterbad swimming pool could maybe be the site of a new statue of the rapper Kanye West if a public vote on the neighbourhood beautification processes uh, projects sorry, carries on as it has been going. And a different, slightly less popular vote is actually calling for two statues of Kanye West outside the local ice cream parlour. So, uh, I don't know what to say. Good luck to them or something. Um, where would you like to begin anyway? <laughs> Well, I mean, since you started with the uh, constitutional reforms, I think uh, this is always a hot topic in Iceland. And it's been something that's been going on for basically a decade now. I mean, it started, if you remember, with the um, uh, with the government in 2010 or 2011, I think it was, mm -hmm. to introduce the, uh, the referendum in the Constitutional Assembly, which was later on uh, declared invalid by the Supreme Court moved on to this uh, consultative referendum. And uh, this is just the next, the next episode in this very, very long series. And um, as you mentioned, Alex, it is probably not going to be very successful. A lot of these topics that are introduced now by the prime minister alone, mm -hmm. um, because of course um, she and her party are under immense pressure to uh, deliver something to their base. Um, some of the points are just too controversial. If you look at, for instance, the right to nature, um, the way that it's in there, I've read the proposal, uh, could have very problematic implications for property rights. Um, it goes too far in terms of also the, uh, the quota system for fishing. Um, all of that basically is very, very concerning, and I don't think it's uh, all too thought through, in my opinion. It's never going to please all of the people all the time. I don't think that's possible. Um, what's her goal with this at the moment, do you think? Because I don't... Obviously, she knows it's not going to make it through unscathed. Uh, what, what, what is she hoping for? I think basically, if you look at the poll numbers of her party, she just tries to uh, appeal to her, to her voter base um, with specifically, as I mentioned, the, the proposals on nature and on conservation. Um, if you look at the purpose of a constitution, um, it should basically just govern the basic functioning of the state. And the Icelandic constitution has been very, very good at that. It hasn't been amended all too often since uh, Icelandic independence. And to expand it and to include um, all kinds of topics, um, I'm not sure it might be the right place. 
It's popular, though. Um, tens of thousands of people signed the petition uh, recently, Quarenius Jordas Growing, and there is this big movement in society behind it. I think more than significantly more than half of people polled um, do want the change, but it's a question of what change that will be. And uh, that is precisely that. Um, if there is such a movement, then you can bring, of course, any specific text to a referendum. Uh, that is always an option that uh, the government can also propose. And um, any referendum, of course, needs to have a basic amount of legitimacy. The problem with the uh, referendum that we had was also extremely low voter turnout. So um, we always have to ask ourselves, yes, there were tens of thousands of people demanding it. But if you put this in, in context of uh, the entire voter base, it's still not uh, more than half of the country. So, you know, we need to see basically um, if the popularity is the same in the, the voting booth as it is in petitions. Now, she tried to work with all of the other party leaders in Arthinki to put a joint bill forward. That didn't happen in the end. But um, a couple of them are sort of tentatively expressing support. And what does that mean? I mean, surely you're behind it or you're not. I mean, that just means there's a basis uh, for negotiations. That's basically all that it means. Okay. Negotiations, what sort of sphere would that take place in? Because would that be in Althinki itself, or would that be further negotiations between the leaders? I think first and foremost um, in, in the parliament itself, in the Althinki, of course. Um, we need to see in, 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 in which exact form this will take place. But again, we need to remember that there's an election coming up this year. And uh, any, any change in the Iceland constitution requires a confirmation in the Althingi, both uh, before a general election and afterwards. So um, if you look at the polls, the next government that we might see will probably be an entirely different one. Which I guess... But that's putting the time pressure on, on, on them right now, on, on the Prime Minister right now, and it's why she's doing it now, because she wants to, otherwise it's an extra four years on top, and, you know, it's already been ten, as you say. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. This is why I'm saying it's just in their episode in this already decade-long process, and, um, yeah, um, we now have a political system where we have uh, maybe even nine parties in the next parliament, and um, we live in a representative democracy, not a Swiss model of direct democracy. So I think uh, her going alone, I think the a party consensus um, that is realistic and broad both before and after the elections is absolutely important. And that's why basically um, she knows that she's not going to get this on this specific text that she proposes. So yeah, I just see it as an appeal to the base of her party because she, um, again, the poll numbers are not looking so good for them. So an early election move as much as anything? Yeah, could be. Okay, should we move on? Anything else catch your eye? Um, of course, COVID and the vaccines, as uh, they're always, um, you know, they're always on our minds, right? Um, there were a couple of news items that were noteworthy. First and foremost, of course, um, the agreement with the European Union on that. Um, I think it's right... Uh, to criticize that, uh, because Iceland has always been in a different position than other European countries. You know, we are an island with a low uh, population, with low population density. Um, we have different abilities in terms of, um, for instance, what we've been doing at the border that uh, you cannot do if you have land borders with other countries. Um, now, 
The main thing that's concerning here is also that the agreements that the Iceland government reached with all the companies that manufacture vaccinations um, have been rendered confidential. I do think that, there is pub that the public has a certain right to know uh, what's going on there. And um, if the health ministry specifically has really gotten the best deal here for Iceland, um, from all that we can see, that's probably not the case. Um, even if Iceland will get this, uh, you know, this, this stage four study done that uh, Thoralf and Kauri have suggested, uh, the question is also about um, issues like uh, issues like the sharing of information. You know, like what rights do we have if we decide to participate in these trials? Um, what information, uh, personal data, is going to be shared with these uh, vaccination manufacturers? Right. So I think basically that there is a lot of unanswered questions. Mm. Um, it seems that all of the contracts with all governments are, are secret, so it's not an Iceland-specific uh, problem there. And it's also not known which side that demand comes from, if it's the governments or the companies that are or, or requesting that. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. It's absolutely correct. Um, we just need to have more clarity in terms of the strategy that the, that the government is running here. Um, I think basically that uh, an issue that is so important is this mandates that. And I mean, this relates also to the, uh, to the loosening of restrictions, because the vaccination strategy is, uh, in the eyes of the government, uh, tied to that. Now, um, if you remember, for instance, the, um, the 19th of August, when the prime minister introduced the, uh, uh, the double testing into five-day quarantine, um, she said that this was done um, with the goal of having as much normal life in Icelandic society as possible because we're now going to be able to catch all the infections at the borders. Now, this has not come true. At the same time, for instance, um, by, I would say, by the end of March, by the end of April at the latest, all the risk groups uh, will have been vaccinated. So um, with the current plan that's being announced, um, I don't think the uh, loosening of the testing requirements goes far enough uh, because Again, um, as Thoralfur even said this week in the media, um, most people that uh, come to Iceland with a, the infection that's detected at the border, um, they're Icelandic citizens, Icelandic residents, not so much tourists. I think basically that uh, at the end of April, at the latest, the government needs to commit to end the five-day quarantine for uh, tourists, business travelers, for uh, at least that, um, simply for the economy to have some planning security for um, the hotel businesses, for tour companies, et cetera, to have planning security for the summer season because um, we cannot afford to have the entire year, another year um, where these companies are depending on government schemes. Isn't that more or less what they are doing from the 1st of May? I mean, requiring a certificate and a single test, but no quarantine. Well, the exact rules state that a single test is only um, if you arrive from countries that are in the European map marked as green or orange with a certain um, infection incidence uh, in their countries. Now, this map basically changes every week. So um, let's say basically you're a Danish traveler and you see this and then you don't know if your country, by the time that you plan your trip to Iceland, uh, will have um, an infection incidence rate that's below or above this number that uh, that basically mandates whether it's uh, a green or a red or an orange country. 
So that, in my opinion, is the issue. And again, even Thorolf said, like, yeah, tourists, business travelers, they have less contact with Icelandic society. Mm -hmm. So I think that it, at least, at the very least, for non-residents, you need to end the five-day quarantine uh, before the summer season starts. I personally would go even further, but I think this could be a good compromise. There seems to, there does seem to be consensus that there's more economic damage done by the virus being rampant in society than by having large sectors of the economy closed down. Um, obviously, an ideal world, you won't have either situation. Um, but it does. I, I, I would say most people seem to agree that keeping the virus out is the most important thing, and maybe that would endanger it somewhat. I don't see, again, I don't see that danger because uh, by the time that May comes along, as I mentioned, all the risk groups will have been vaccinated. Those who want the vaccine in the risk groups will have already gotten it. So if you look at the, uh, in, in terms of uh, the, the health cost, the death toll and all that, um, except for one, all the deaths in Iceland were uh, from people above 60. So I say that, that no, I don't see the danger now. Fair enough. Um, yeah, have we seen any development of this of this map system, the color coding system? Because at the moment, I think most countries are red, so it wouldn't change anything right now. Um, have to wait and see how the spring goes, I suppose. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're in the tourism industry yourself. What would you hope for from this summer? What's your best, brightest hope? My best, brightest hope that uh, is that. Um, we can put as many people as possible back to work because I notice for myself my own business is suffering. Um, I see that um, also for many people I know in Iceland who work in the industry or even industries related such as, uh, such as restaurants. Um, unemployment is a real concern. Many companies don't know uh, if they're able to open at all. Um, I think a lot of also, like business owners have a lot of sleepless nights here, and I think um, we just want to have as much of a return to normal life as possible. And if you look at the dependence of of, uh, of Iceland um, on tourism, in particular in terms of GDP, I think the most important thing needs to be that we need to have as normal of a tourist season as possible. And largely dependent on what's happening in other countries, unfortunately, uh, regardless of how the situation looks here. Um, but yeah, I mean, as Thorolver himself often says, May is a long way away still. Yep. Um, anything else to add on that, or should we move on? I think we can move on, yeah. Okay. Um, perhaps there's not an enormous amount to say about the University of Iceland thing, but it was quite a big event um, there. 2,000 tonnes of water flooded the campus, and uh, I think one of the buildings the ground floor of one of the buildings is out of action for months. Um, really bad timing with all of this social distancing going on, and they've got the biggest student group they've ever had because of the unemployment crisis. Um, couldn't have been worse timing, could it? In a way, though, it couldn't have been a better time because uh, now at least um, all the teachers and, and faculties have experience in how to do uh, distance learning. Right, so, and, and a lot of the uh, teachers and the staff of the university have experience for, uh, in, in working from home. So in a, way, um, in, in a way, because we're used to that, it might actually, you know, it might actually be great timing for that if there is ever such a great timing, you know, for such a thing. Very good point, yeah, <laughs> very good point. Um, they're not entirely sure yet who's gonna pay for it all, um, I believe. It's not covered by a specific university insurance um, 
they're hoping maybe the utility company will be able to cover it through their insurance. If not, it might come down to the taxpayer. Who knows? That is probably the case. I mean, as uh, some university rep representative said, um, because they're a government institution, they don't take out insurance um, on, uh, on, the, on events like that. I think we need to wait for the investigation also to conclude um, about what exactly happened and whose fault it is. But yeah, um, I would fully expect, unfortunately, that um, the taxpayer will end up uh, bearing the cost of that. And the pipe that burst was 14 months behind schedule as well, I believe. Um, that, that road's been, well, you've probably been there. It's been yeah. dug up for ages. Yeah. And it's a major project as well. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Like, I remember like driving there, um, as you said, for the past year, and I've been wondering myself, um, why is there no progress on this, on this construction? Indeed. Well, good luck to all the students and teachers and, uh, yeah, having a semi-normal spring term. At least the bar's open again now, so that's something. Um, what else would you like to talk about? Uh, avalanches, the ambassador, Kanye West? <laughs> Lots of topics for this week, right? Um, yeah, we can move on to the ambassador if you like. So he was a, <clears throat> a political appointment um, appointed by Trump nothing particularly unusual in that um but it's not a guarantee that he's just gonna quit when a new president is elected is it no. well it is actually very common practice in america um for any political appointee to hand in their resignation when a new president comes along so um uh, this resignation was completely expected and um the question mainly is uh when are we going to get a new ambassador I think there's, um, this was the second uh, political appointment in a row, actually. The previous ambassador uh, appointed, I think, in only in 2015 by Obama was also a political appointee. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it takes a long, long time, actually, for, for them, especially for smaller countries, to, to nominate a new ambassador. Um, yeah, they have finished a lot of, of important projects at the embassy. For instance, the current ambassador oversaw the um, the opening of the new embassy on um, uh, on Sydlandsbreit, a very impressive building, which was also delayed. Um, he, you know, he has actually been, despite all the news, he's been actually quite active, trying to um, trying to to form these ties between Iceland and the United States and all that. So I think um, all things considered, um, I think though that America might be better represented by a, by a career diplomat. Um, however, I don't think, um, besides what you hear in the news, that he's been all that bad, actually. It's always, though, of course, when somebody is not uh, political indeed, and he doesn't have the experience. And, um, the, the issue, I think, with what he was in the news about requiring all kinds of personal protection, um, he just comes from a different culture where that is just more necessary. Being a controversial figure as an ambassador is a pretty bad thing, uh, generally speaking, even if, if it's not his fault, maybe. Um, but that controversy is, is never going to be helpful, is it? Oh, definitely not. I think his reputation in Iceland is definitely damaged, rightfully or not. But luckily for the American community, um, the embassy is very used to functioning without an ambassador. I think it was two years before, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Experienced in that field. Um, what difference does it make? Is there going to be a practical difference in the next however long it takes before another ambassador comes? Um, or will, 
maybe we won't notice any difference. No, embassies and uh, the foreign service in general, it's a well-oiled machine. So um, there won't be any practical difference for the vast majority of things. The ambassador is, is, is for the most part, um, especially in smaller countries, just a figurehead, um, which, of course, like is important to, to invite because it gives, it gives um, events that are being attended a certain gravity. Exactly, yeah, they're the, the figurehead, the ones that pin the medals and give the bouquets of flowers and things. Um, but also, they're a figurehead for the country they represent as well. And I suppose if it's a civil servant at the top, maybe they don't have the confidence to, or even the ability to, to do and say some of the things that an ambassador might do, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> no, this is absolutely correct. Um, but as I said, embassies are well-oiled machines. These people, especially in the Foreign Service, and it's incredibly hard to have a career there, and it's incredibly hard to be um, posted in any meaningful position abroad. Um, so I'm, I'm not at all worried that the interests uh, interest of the United States will not be represented in Iceland. Um, what next? Will Biden appoint a career diplomat, as you suggest, or do you think it would be another political friend? We don't know. I think there's very little uh, we know about the, the foreign policy priorities of, of the Biden administration. And I, I would be surprised if they've even given any thought to um, who to send to Iceland. Yeah. I'm, it, probably a spate of other um, top jobs at embassies around the world have become available recently for the same reason. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, the administration has, has so many positions to fill in the foreign service in um, in, in a lot of places, right? Um, also, don't forget that um, also, especially if he chooses a political point, uh, political point and T, then a Senate re confirmation will be required as well. So, uh, once we have a hearing, if that happens, then uh, we'll know a lot more. Yep. Okay. That's one thing. Um, I think I'd like to move on to the Kanye West story not just because it involves a celebrity, but also because it raises an impression, a question about the whole public participation in city planning, um, because I assume the mayor and the council wouldn't propose this, <laughs> but someone has, and it's gaining traction, and it might actually happen. Oh, yeah, I mean, the whole idea of public participation is to gather, it should not just be a fig leaf, right, to say that we include you, right? The whole, ideally, the whole idea of public uh, participation is to um, gather ideas that would otherwise not come from, uh, from those professionals who do the city planning, who, um, whose job it is to, to come up with these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And um, in the case of Kanye West, I mean, he has a connection to Iceland. He's been here before he filmed the music video. Um, and it is often that, you know, these kind of statues that are, you know, to some people a little bit outrageous, they attract tourists as well. You know, they bring Iceland into the news. If now uh, the city of Reykjavik decides to erect a statue to Kanye West, I'm sure basically it would make at least page 47 of the New York Times. Uh, and, you know, any news is good news. So you're not worried about it sort of outraging the well-to-do, middle-aged people? What on earth is this and why are we spending my tax money on it? I mean, um, I 
don't think this is going to outrage that many people, to be quite honest. I mean, it's not like you put up a statue of, of uh, or like a naked statue of a porn star. Um, and and the, the initiative overall has been quite a success, hasn't it? They've been running it for a few years now, and um, we've got things like the the hot foot bath thing in, in Lyomskolagadarin and, and many other things, dog parks, for example. Um, so it, it, it has been giving a voice to people to suggest what they want to do with their neighbourhoods, and, and that's a good thing. And then, uh, if, then it's open and free to be voted on. Um, but not all of the suggestions are serious. No, I mean, you, you have this with every kind of public participation process. Mm. Um, not all of the suggestions are serious, but as you said, you know, it, it um, is important to have, uh, to have this kind of input. And um, you will get different ideas than from people who uh, do this for a living, of course. Mm. So back to the statue idea, you would view that as kind of a tourist attraction, first and foremost. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, especially American tourists, they will flock to that, you know, because they will also be quite surprised that a different country has a statue of, of uh, an American celebrity. Mm. And what does that... Uh, maybe this is overstating it, I don't know, but does that diminish the status of other statues um, for local, prominent local, I don't know, authors and politicians and things, and then Kanye next to them? No, I think I think basically everybody can judge in their own right uh, how they see these statues. I think you will still have more pictures taken in front of the statue of Leif Eriksson in front of Halkin uh, Kekia than you will in, in, of the statue of Kanye West. Mm. So um, I think more is more can be a good thing. Yeah. And the name idea is quite clever as well, Westerbeilig. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Would be the perfect place for it. Yeah. And. <laughs> Just very briefly, um, two more statues of the same man outside the ice cream shop might be going a bit far, right? I mean, as long as taxpayer money is not wasted on it, um, <laughs> fine, you know. I think we're learning from this that it's difficult to say what does and does not constitute wasting taxpayers' money. That is definitely the case, yeah. It's definitely the case. Although, um, again, um, at least if you have one statue if you can make it into a tourist attraction. Maybe even there could be some, some private funding for that as well. You know, nobody says that this has to be financed by the city government. You know, like ideas can be realized uh, with the participation of, of uh, private funding. Mm -hmm. So if the city doesn't want to pay for it, which maybe it actually shouldn't, then um, maybe there can be a crowdfunding campaign. I think that would be even cooler, actually. Well, the ice cream shop could pay. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah, right. Well, we haven't managed to cover the avalanches, although there's probably not a great deal to say about that, really. It's just it's January weather. Um, luckily, no one's hurt that we know of. Um, but transport has been a bit um, crazy up north, and a skiing area was destroyed in Siglafjörður. Um, but yeah, we haven't had any bad weather down south. It's weird, isn't it? Not a drop of snow. Absolutely. It's been a little bit windy, but there's nothing out of the ordinary for January, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I say, there's not a great deal to say about it, but it is big news because um, houses have been evacuated yeah. and people sent away from their homes and workplaces closed down. So it's, it's a major disruption to the people in the area. Um, hopefully the week will be calmer. I don't know. Have you seen the forecast? No, I have not. I have not. 
But uh, I mean, this just shows the importance also of, um, you know, because it does not interrupt only the life of the people in the area, but um, all of Iceland is interconnected and, and uh, it just shows the importance of having proper infrastructure in place. And I'm glad basically that um, something is being done about it by constructing more of the tunnels, mm -hmm. by basically um, opening up for private-public partnership, for private funding to finance a tunnel to Sadisfeld, for instance, which is another town that's often, as we've seen recently, um, impacted by weather and especially also the access to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the road over to Sadisfeld can be quite treacherous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lessons have been learned from the big storm a year ago, basically, and, and that process continues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, that's it. The week in Iceland is out of time yet again. Um, but we will be back next Monday, the 1st of February, on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app, and your favorite podcast platform. Huge thanks to my guest today, Lukas Schweiger, and also to Lydia Grietestotit for running the technical side of things. We finished today with Feel the Love, a new dance floor filler, if it were possible to get on the dance floor, um, from Dali Freyr and Austis. Bye for now. No matter what you do is never good enough Everything you say they wanna shut you up Baby they're thinking that you wait too much Feel the love